so very thankful that you've joined us today in our worship. Now we'd like to worship God with our offering. And I just want to thank you personally for so many of you who have not put your giving on pause during this time. I know that would be such an easy thing to do. In fact, I think this is the ultimate time for us to respond to the challenge of God in Malachi 3 verse 10. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And listen to this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. That's the only place in Scripture where God asks us to test Him. And so right now, you have an opportunity to test the faithfulness of God. There are four different ways listed here on the screen. Hope you'll go ahead and uh, make your offering right now. You know, as we continue our Paul series, I think we'd all have to admit that we're in a pause that's lasted longer than we expected. I'm, I'm not quite sure how long this will extend this Paul series, but I'm enjoying it. But you see, I want to stop now because it seems like we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I want to ask the question today, is that after the pause, will you and I be different? You know, I hear us say that there's so many things we'll never take for granted. Going to a restaurant and sitting down a meal with a friend. Going and getting your hair cut. Like the lady said last week, going to Hobby Lobby. And then especially never take for granted the assembly of God's people. And yet I know it's human nature that we will. I mean, many of us are old enough to remember back at 9-11 where it appeared that everything had changed. You know, everybody believed our country would never be the same. More people were going to church after 9-11 than in decades. And yet we saw all of that so quickly fade. You know, on on 9-11, that moment where George W. Bush stood on top of that rubble and challenged the terrorists, we may have been more united than ever. And yet look as what happened to us afterwards. You know, we, we thought we would never take our safety for granted. And now, before this time, we have. And so I think we need to be challenged to be learning what God is teaching us and to be writing that down because God does some of his best work in the pause. Today we're going to be looking at the, the Bible character Joseph. If anybody went through an incredible pause, it was him. Let me just show you the graph of his life. And let's look at what happened to him from age 17 to age 30. Uh, Back here, Joseph is his father's favorite son. He's given the multicolored robe, coat. And he's sort of cocky about it. He's got some dreams. He thinks his brothers will bow down to him one day. And he's got the audacity to share those dreams with his brothers. So everything's looking good. So one day his dad sends him out to check on his brothers. And he goes to look at them. And he finds out they're in a city named Dothan. Now, I've always been baffled why anybody would name their city Dothan. Besides, there's this line in the middle of the story where Joseph runs against a guy who says, your brother said, let us go to Dothan. But it's not a good scene in Dothan. Now, if you're a Dothanite and you're offended by me, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sure you've talked bad about Montgomery, so so just forgive me. So in Dothan, his brothers decide that they're going to kill him. 
Until Reuben stands up and says, no, 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 let's, let's not kill him. And so finally they decide to sell him into slavery. The Midianites deliver him to Egypt, where he is a slave in the household of Potiphar. And then things start looking up. Everything he touches turns to gold. And finally Potiphar says, I'm putting you in charge of my, own, my whole household. You are so good, so brilliant. And, and that was awesome until Potiphar's wife thought he was cute. In fact, she thought he's more than cute. She thought he's hot. And she tries to seduce him. And he says no. And she screams rape. And he's thrown in prison. And for two years, he's completely forgotten in this dungeon. And then somebody remembers he's good at interpreting dreams. And they bring him to Pharaoh. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he teaches Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. You need to get ready. And Pharaoh says, you seem to be a rather bright guy. Why don't I put you in charge? And so he saves the whole country. And here at the apex, he's reunited with his family and becomes one of the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story. Now, if we think our pause is long, look at, this is a 13-year pause where, where Joseph doesn't hear a verbal word from God. He doesn't receive a miracle. He doesn't receive a promise. There's actually no explanation. It's one thing when you know the plan. It's one thing like when we read the story, we know the end of the story. Joseph never knew it. And yet he holds on in the middle of this. And during the pause, God was active. Here's some of the things that God did in the middle of this pause. God was, was sensitive. God's a sensitive God. In, in that worst scene where, where Joseph is accused of rape in Genesis 39, there are four times in that chapter where the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. God was there and cared about him. And on top of that, God is not still in these times of pause. He's working behind the scenes, even when it doesn't look like it, to bring about his will. And then here's the important point in our story this morning. God is always shaping us. Joseph, as we recognize, had some pretty rough edges that God had to knock off him. And here's the good news here. God so shapes Joseph that he comes out of the story completely different. Have you ever known someone, they went off to college or war, or different city, and they came back and you were like, man, you're not the same person I used to know. That's what you could have said to Joseph at the end of this. Now, I want us to think about the word crucible. I think that's a really important word that describes what Joseph went through and what we often go through. What's a crucible? It's a situation or severe trial in which different elements interact leading to the creation of something new. And that's what happens. There's so many things that interact in these 13 years. He goes through trials and triumphs. He is rejected and he's received. He has great lows and great highs. He has amazing affirmations and amazing accusations. And yet that mixture molds a character we would all like to emulate. We probably all have those stories. I think of a brother here that I have so much respect for and love for, Don Gillum. And when he was in that crucible a few years ago and very disappointed. And yet I saw that man 
plead for prayers and be molded and shaped and honestly better than ever. I know in my own life, it's, it's in those crucibles that God has been able to mold me. It's not always been easy. When years ago, I was actually youth minister and campus minister here at Landmark. We had built a group of college students on Wednesday nights, about 125, 150 people. And the institution we got most of our students from had a new president. So I thought it's a place where the majority of the students were going at that point. Maybe I needed to go meet him. So I set up an appointment. I went to the president's office. I introduced myself. The first words he said out of his mouth is, young man, I've got a problem with you. And just right off the bat, never met the man, he begins to make an accusation about me and my ministry. And so I try right on the spot to, to clear things up and to deny the charge he's making. I had a preacher friend call me about two months later saying, I was at the local preacher's meeting and this man got up and talk bad about you about the same things. If there weren't a group of elders in this church who supported me and defended me, I'd have been in bad shape. Honestly, I was a young man, you know, 25 years old. It was painful. I, I was not used to that kind of criticism, especially public criticism. It led to a lot of insecurity in the middle of the criticism. I got some accusation. I got some affirmation. But here's what I want to say. If I had not been through that, I would not have been prepared to move here 13 years later. Because when I first moved here, man, I had more criticism than I ever had. Oh, there was a local bulletin that wrote about us every week, like a six-page paper my first week here. And it wasn't complimentary. All kinds of accusations about false teachers and all this had a minister write every eldership in town warning about me. And it was, it was an awful time. But honestly, because of what I'd been through earlier, I was prepared. Now, I'm not trying to tell you I enjoyed that, but I'm telling you it did never knock me off mission. It's in that crucible where you're prepared for the future. I know you probably remember a time in your life where you went through an awful time and maybe you didn't even handle it that well. But it prepared you for the future. So, in this pause, God's preparing Joseph for a glorious future. So they go through this seven-year famine. Yet Joseph has stockpiled Egypt and they've got plenty of food. Now, this is what's so crazy. I wish we didn't know this story so well. I mean, you talk about a 48-hour special, <laughs> that wouldn't fit it. Uh, you, you would need a, a Netflix series, and, and it would have every part of drama that you could ask for. So, here's the crazy thing. Joseph's brothers and father hear about all this food in Egypt, and so his dad, Jacob, sends these brothers to Egypt to, to get some, some of the stockpile, and they get there. And guess who's the one who meets them who's in charge of all the stockpile? It's Joseph. Of course, they don't recognize him. But he recognizes them. What a test of character. So this morning, I just want to share with you seven passages that show how much Joseph had developed and been shaped from that bratty teenager. Uh, Genesis forty-one fifty-one. This is even before his reunion with his brothers. 
Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. If you're taking notes, write the word forget. Before his brothers ever came back, he had been working through the issue of forgiveness to a point where he believed he could forget what they had done. Now, that's pretty amazing. People want to take your life. People who sent you to a foreign land where you didn't know the language, you didn't know the people, no family around, where you're thrown in and out of prison and persecution. And then he named his second child. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The word fruitful there is so key to me. I mean, if, if I'm Joseph in this awful pause, I might have just... I might have put my whole life on pause. I might have just gone to neutral. I mean, God, if this is the way you treat me, if you're real, if you'll even let me be accused of rape and thrown in prison, why should I keep working? It's obvious in this story, Joseph was a gifted, brilliant person. And even in the midst of this foreign land, he's fruitful. And I hope in this pause that you're being fruitful. Because so fruitful that he helps a heathen nation survive. And then we see his brothers come back. And then when we, we really see this changed character, that they come back and then they come back later. He challenges them to bring his younger son, Benjamin, who he's never met, his younger brother, Benjamin. And look at this verse in chapter 43. Deeply moved to the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. He had not revealed himself to his brothers yet. And, and this is about the fourth time he's broken down weeping. He broke down when he saw the ten brothers. He broke down when he saw Benjamin. And then he breaks down when he finally sees his dad. I mean, this guy that was so insensitive at 17 years old has become a very sensitive man. Trials can do that to you. And then, when he made himself known, obviously his brothers are scared to death. What will he do to us after what we did to him? And here's what he says to them, chapter 45. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Can you imagine that being one of the first words you say to these brothers who were so cruel and awful to you, who completely changed the trajectory of your life? And basically what he says is, do not beat yourself up. God's actually been working behind the scenes. And then he says later in that chapter, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. You see, you may think you sent me here. I believe God sent me here. And later, you know, they bring the dad back. Joseph lets them settle in Egypt. They actually go to a very fertile land around the Nile River called Goshen. You would think this story was taking place in South Alabama, wouldn't you? But they go there and they're blessed and, you know, for a while things go good. The Israelites end up staying there for 400 years. 
It, it becomes the nation of Moses who will be the line of the redemption through Jesus Christ. And then we keep seeing this. Now, now catch this. After dad dies, <laughs> oh, we know he wanted to see dad. And maybe he's protecting us, the brothers think, just because of dad. So after dad dies, they freak out again. And look what Joseph says. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You see, Joseph learned his place. It wasn't his job to control his circumstances or his life. He resigned from being God. That'd be a pretty good thing for all of us to do. Because we don't do a very good job at it. And then he says one of the most favorite, famous lines in all scripture. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And oh, please highlight that word God. In fact, in every one of our scriptures we've shown, except one, God is mentioned. You see, I like to read this story, and I think it is, the story of Joseph's faithfulness and strength and forgiveness. But it's really the story of a faithful God who's actually in control. I remember after we went through so many crazy things at my beginning of my tenure here, my wife ran into the guy who probably caused... uh, big majority of it and it was so cool that she was able to say quote this verse and say what you may have intended for evil God intended for good so it's a story my friends of God that ought to sustain us because the the greatest thing about Joseph is he knows it's God's story and so he's able to trust God I love what Donald Miller wrote the most difficult lie I've ever contended with is that life is a story about me. We all fight that, don't we? Joseph had that knocked out of him. And Joseph understood that this was the story of an incredible, incredible God. He's the only one who could have made this story happen. So so write this down about Joseph. Joseph was better, not bitter. Now, now let's, let's, let's do give Joseph some credit here. He had a choice. I mean, just think how easy it would have been to become extremely bitter toward his brothers, toward the Midianites, toward the Egyptians, and honestly, toward God. God, if you're so great and all-powerful and all-knowing, how in the world would you let me get into this dire situation? But Joseph made a choice. My friends, if Joseph had not made a choice to be better instead of bitter, we would not be reading this story thousands of years later. But we read it now and we're amazed because we know the path he chose was not the easy path. And many of you have faced that. You've been through a divorce and you could become better or you could become bitter. You lost a job. You had that same choice. You were unjustly criticized and he had every excuse, you know, to, to be so critical in your life of everybody around you. 
But you chose to be less critical because you knew what it felt like to be unjustly criticized. I found out in my ordeal that for someone to believe something, all you got to do is put it in print. And, and often you can't, you can't defend yourself. And so it taught me not to trust what people say about other people. Or maybe you lost a child and you could have become so bitter. But like Jerry and Monica Green, you became better and made something as beautiful as the merit of the foundation come out of it. You see, through this pandemic and all the disruption in our life and our economy and our health and our, our normal routine, are you becoming better? You see, this is a crucible where God can do something brand new. Something brand new in you. So here's the question I want to ask you. How will you be better after the pause? Now, I know we're not there yet, and I don't know how long this thing's going to go on. But, but here's my challenge for you. I'd like you to start writing down a list of those things. What are the lessons you're learning? Now, I want to challenge you right now. If you don't have something in front of you, find a pen, a, a three-by-five card, a piece of paper somewhere close by. In just a moment, we're going to give you, you time to, to just start writing down the lessons you will remember a year or two after this of how you see God shaping you. Now, while you do that, I, I've asked um, for us to play a video from Easter where our worship team introduced a new song to us called New Wine. It was such a powerful song. And I think it says everything about what we're saying today. Here's some of the words. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. You're, you're pushing me to be someone different. And yet the song recognizes that you have to surrender so I yield to you and your careful hand when I trust in you I don't need to understand. That was the choice Joseph made to trust when he didn't understand. I hope that's the choice I'm making the choice you're making. So I want you to just let these beautiful words minister to you. As you begin this morning to write down a list of the things that you are learning and how you're going to be different because God was in the crucible of pain. <laughs>